This talk is offered by Ordinary Mind Zendo. Ordinary Mind was founded by Barry Majid, Dharma heir of Charlotte Joko Beck, and is dedicated to her vision of a psychologically minded Zen practice adapted to the needs of American students practicing in the context of their everyday lives. Our public programs are made possible by donations from people like you. From the transmission of the lamp, the fourth patriarch. Dao Shen became a monk when he was only seven years old. While still a young man, he had an interview with his teacher, the third patriarch, Sengang. Dao Shen asked, I beg your compassion, Master. Please give me a way of liberation. And God said, Who is hindering you? Dao Shen said, No one is hindering me. Sengan replied, Then why do you seek? liberation. And with these words, we're told Dao Xin was greatly enlightened. Cesar first session since the end of the summer vacation. I was very fortunate to be able to take a month off, a couple of weeks of which I spent up on Cape Cod, very lovely, relaxing location. And taking a break like that always gives us an opportunity to think about the nature of what we're doing. What does it mean to take a break from it? What are those breaks for? And in a sense, it addresses this whole question of what the young fourth patriarch was asking. What is this, the way of liberation? And what if anything hinders us in our path? Vacation, as it's usually understood, is a chance to get away from work. There's a way in which it feels like freedom to be able to put down our responsibilities or obligations for a while, to relax. And there's certainly a necessary and healthy element in that.
But if vacation was just idleness, I don't think I'd have much interest in it. Because vacation, to be very fulfilling, I think also has to include an opportunity to do things that we don't ordinarily do because of uh, the routine of our schedule or obligations. So for some people, that is an opportunity to travel, to go see places, do things they don't do otherwise. Maybe it's a chance to engage in activities we don't otherwise have time for or can't do in the city. Go hiking or swimming or kayaking. Personally, I'm fairly recreationally impaired. I don't go do any of those things, uh, especially at this age. But for me, vacation is a time when I can really put concentrated effort into reading and studying or writing in a way that uh, I can't do during my, my usual time. So I did a lot of preparation for uh, what we'll be doing up at the Barry Center in October, reading and writing about Wilfred Sellers. And it felt very liberating to be able to have the time and opportunity to do that work. And that points to the two kinds of definition of freedom that we've often talked about here, just both the freedom from versus freedom to. And we don't want to get stuck on either side of that uh, dichotomy. Although typically we get preoccupied, particularly around vacation time, with notions of freedom from. We think liberation is a chance to do less, to drop obligations, to not have things that are required of us. But in a certain sense, while that may be a very necessary break, real freedom, certainly as we think about it in terms of this practice, is the kind of freedom that enables us to be most fully ourselves, to do what we can, can do or capable of doing. And to do that, we typically need all sorts of enabling conditions to be in place, all sorts of structures, all sorts of supports. Freedom cannot come simply from autonomy, being free of dependency on anything and anybody. But a certain kind of freedom is dependent 
on having all the conditions in place that allow us to do what we need to do to be who we are. I opened Sashin with the image of the dog who comes to his master with his leash in his mouth. Take me out. The leash is part of going out. In order for the dog to have his walk, it needs the structure of the leash. Otherwise, it could become too dangerous. It could get out of, the uh, dog could run away. Or the dog could get into tassels with other dogs or people on the street. And without that potential restraint, the walk could turn into something else, something uh, destructive instead of healthy. And so for the dog, the leash is part of the enabling conditions that create the relationship with the master and make a walk possible. And our session has the quality of that. In a sense, we put ourselves on a leash for a day. We constrict ourselves, conform to this schedule. And in one way, we're limiting our freedom by sitting within this structure, sitting still. But in another way, we give ourselves a whole if different kind of freedom that allows us to be present and to be ourselves in a way we ordinarily don't get a chance to do. For Dogen, Zazen and the whole monastic life in which it's embedded are the enabling conditions that allow us to be fully who we are. Zazen is not a means to an end, it's the thing itself. it most fully expresses our human nature, our Buddha nature, which when we practice, we see are the same things. But we have to be on the leash. Now, I think that these days we're inclined to see our practice as a particular kind of enabling condition, but not the sole or unique way of being ourselves or, or of practicing. When we say ordinary mind is the way, we dissolve that dichotomy between our daily life and our practice life. 
said that there's nothing missing, nothing hidden in what we encounter moment after moment in this life. Everything, each moment, teaches us impermanence and interdependence. Each moment thus expresses Buddha nature, reality, just as it is. And yet, all of us are liable to too easily fall into a sense of lack, a sense of this isn't it, there's something wrong, there's something missing in me, in my life, in my relationships. And we need the structure of practice to bring us back to the experience of, oh, this is it, just like this. Just being me, just being here, just now. This is it. Now, it's certainly the case that when we come to practice, We're very dissatisfied with the moment, with our minds, with our bodies. It brings us to practice, there's some sense of dissatisfaction. Like the young monk in this story, we think we need to be liberated, even though we may be unclear about from what. Sometimes we think we need to be liberated from our mind as it is, or our body as it is. but we may have a very vague idea of what's wrong and what's supposed to fix it. But we often come with that sense of wanting to be liberated from something. And if we're in the grip of terrible anxiety or cannot control our anger, or have addictive behaviors, we can see practice as this process of subtraction, trying to liberate us from these particular emotions or bad habits. And we'll see practice as an exercise of self-control. But the more deeply we go into our sitting, we realize that all those things arise out of an inability to just stay with something more fundamental, our own anxiety or insecurity or vulnerability, which gives rise to our hurt and our anger, and our desperate grasping, and all our efforts at control and fixing, which can run amok in a thousand different ways. And the paradox is that rather than more self-control, 
what we need is practice in leaving everything alone, being able to stay with our most vulnerable feelings just as they are. We may come to practice with a fantasy of autonomy, of finally achieving a state where we're self-efficient, under perfect self-control, where we won't need anything or anybody, because we felt in our life that needing things and needing people is just too vulnerable, opens us up to too much hurt and disappointment. And we have a curative fantasy in our practice of, I'll go beyond that. I won't need anything. And that, of course, is a hopeless delusion. We can't become autonomous in a relational or interpersonal sense any more than we can become independent of our need for oxygen or food or water or sleep. At the most basic level, we're completely dependent on things being just so to support our life. So we have to come to recognize the reality of interdependence. But there we can fall into another ditch. We can think that everything has to be just so in order for us to be able to, to flourish. And we get preoccupied with the conditions or the people that we're dependent on. And we think that if I don't have enough money, if I'm not married, if my job isn't just right, if I don't have children, or if the children aren't treating me the way I want to be treated, if I don't have just the right teacher, if I don't have the right Zen center or Sangha. Well, no wonder I'm so unhappy. Nothing is the way it's supposed to be. That's the other ditch of forgetting your basic freedom, your basic okayness, and thinking that all the particular conditions that, you, that everyone needs they have to be very specific or else. These are the two basic pitfalls that we encounter in our practice. And we have to be honest about which ditch we're most prone to fall into. For some of us, it's that pursuit of autonomy, of emotional independence, of self-sufficiency denying vulnerability so we won't be hurt. But for some of us, we go to the opposite extreme, 
and we live a life of constant hurt and complaint and disappointment that things are not the way they're supposed to be. And what could I ever expect of my life if it's going to look like this? One is a failure to appreciate our interdependence, the other a failure to appreciate the perfection of our life just as it is. Vacation is sort of this interesting time when all the conditions are turned upside down for a little while. Gives us a chance to look at what do I want to be from, free from? What do I want to be free to do? What do I need? What do I want? Where does practice fit into this picture? I hope we can all honestly ask ourselves those questions and try to look at what does it mean to be free?